You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Good evening. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, uh, friends and colleagues, and our online audience. You're all very, very welcome indeed. My name is Jane Olmeyer, and I'm the director of the uh, Trinity Long Room Hub, our research institute in the arts and humanities. And it is my uh, pleasure and my privilege to welcome you all here this evening to the Edmund Burke Lecture Theatre for a very, very special lecture. And I particularly would like to welcome uh, Gillian Fallon and members of the Fallon uh, family, without whom we just wouldn't be here this evening. So Gillian and uh, your family, you're all extraordinarily welcome. Thank you. For those of you who don't know the Trinity Long Room Hub, we, we do three things. Uh, in the Hub, we celebrate the excellence of the arts and humanities at uh, Trinity College Dublin. We promote multi and interdisciplinarity and we have a very active public humanities programme. And this evening encapsulates, I think, all three. Um, certainly tonight's talk is one of the signature uh, uh, event in our calendar. Um, and obviously we're very proud of Trinity's uh, connection with Edmund uh, Burke, the 18th century philosopher, politician, historian, who graduated from Trinity in uh, 1748. And I think the calibre of speakers is a tribute to uh, Burke's ongoing uh, relevance, even if some would choose his uh, legacy, to use his legacy in a manner uh, not befitting of his stature. You may have noticed the window as we uh, walked in. Um, uh, it's a quote uh, by Edmund Burke. Every year for the uh, Edmund Burke lecture, we, we choose a quote. Uh, this one reads, Quote, rage and frenzy will pull down more in half an hour than prudence, deliberation and foresight can build up in a hundred years. It really speaks for itself. Uh, certainly it speaks volumes uh, to the knee-jerk political uh, action and public discourse that we uh, see in the world around us today. It tells us that there is merit in consideration, collaboration, uh, diplomacy and patience. Something we seem to have forgotten in an age of endless information, but little insight. Therefore, we couldn't think of anyone better than a poet whose craft is in words to bring some perspective to some complex problems facing our society today. So tonight, Paul Muldoon, will join our growing list of celebrated uh, uh, individuals who have graced this platform, including the distinguished historians Margaret Macmillan and Roy uh, Foster, the award-winning writer and journalist Robert Fisk, and Baroness Honora O'Neill, former chair of the UK's Equality and Human Rights uh, uh, Commission. So to Paul. Paul Muldoon, especially after all that he did as part of the Decade of Commemoration, um, he's a very familiar in 2016, he played a very major role in our own uh, commemoration of, of, two, uh, of 1916, so he probably needs very little introduction from me, 
but it would be inappropriate not to share with you uh, some of his great achievements, the first one of which was being born uh, in uh, Northern Ireland uh, uh, and brought up in the Moy uh, on the border between counties Antrim and Tyrone. It's a part of the world that I know very well. My mother lives there and she commutes between uh, Donegal and uh, South Armagh. And as I was saying to Paul earlier, she's not happy about Brexit. It just doesn't suit her. Uh, she wishes it wouldn't happen. Anyway, after studying at Queen's University Belfast, uh, Paul worked for over a decade as a producer for the BBC in Belfast uh, until in the mid-1980s he gave up his job to become a freelance writer and moved to the United States. Uh, in the US, um, he uh, became, uh, he joined the faculty at Princeton University where he is the Howard G.B. Clark uh, Professor and founding chair of the Peter B. Lewis Center uh, for the Arts. Um, in 2007, he was appointed a poetry editor of The New Yorker, and between 1999 and 2004, he was professor of poetry at the University of uh, Oxford, where he still is an honorary fellow of uh, Hartford College. He's the author of 12 major collections of poetry, including uh, uh, May Sand and Gravel, for which he won the 2003 uh, Pulitzer Prize. Closer to home, he also won the Mark Piggott Poetry Prize in Listowel. And I say that partly because Mark Piggott has been such a friend of Trinity, and I think it's important to acknowledge he's not here in person, but I think he might be uh, uh, following us online. So to thank Mark for his support for Trinity, but also uh, uh, more generally for the arts and for poetry. Um, Paul's most recent uh, anthology is Selected Poems uh, uh, 1968 to uh, 2014. Uh, I, however, had the pleasure of meeting Paul for the first time back in uh, 2006. Um, I was in the United States with a very dear colleague, uh, Mary Appier, uh, who was then the head of the Trinity Foundation, and we were looking at uh, examples of best practice when it came to humanities research institutes and of course we went to see the Institute of Advanced Studies in Princeton and Mary said oh we must go and talk to, to Paul Muldoon at that point Paul had just received a donation of a hundred and one million dollars say it again a hundred and one million dollars to develop the arts program uh, at Princeton and of course, I just was like, oh my God, you know, well, imagine what we could do with that. Um, but actually, it did inspire us, and we came back and uh, developed the concept for the Trinity Long Rim Hub, this research institute in the arts and humanities that I'm very proud to be the director of. So Paul has been a very important uh, person uh, in our lives here uh, in Trinity. So before I hand the podium over to Paul, uh, I'd like a few housekeeping items. I'd ask you please to put your phones on silent, uh, but if you want to join the conversation on social media, please do so using the hashtag, hashtag HubMatters. Um, we'll also have some time at the end for questions. Um, uh, so uh, hopefully, or hopefully we'll have some time, Paul. Hopefully we'll have some time at the end for questions. Um, tonight's uh, talk is being live streamed and podcast. So you'll be able to share it uh, with your friends who aren't here this evening. 
Um, uh, I also would uh, just simply uh, uh, like to say, because it's being live streamed, obviously we'll bear that in mind in terms of the questions, but we'll come back to that in a moment. I'd like you to join me now in welcoming uh, Paul Muldoon to deliver the annual Edmund Burke lecture entitled, He Who Did Nothing, The Poet as Citizen. Paul. Thank you. I'll begin with an observation by Edmund Burke, taken from a speech he made in the 1774 British parliamentary debate on the Boston Port Act. The bill is unjust, since it bears on the city of Boston, while it is notorious that all cities of Philadelphia, of New York, and all the maritime towns of the continent have exhibited the same disobedience. Have you considered whether we have troops and ships sufficient to reduce the people of the whole American continent to your devotion? The resistance is general in all parts of America. You must, therefore, let it govern itself by its own internal policy. Or make it subservient to all your laws by an exertion of all the forces of the kingdom. The first came across Burke in or around 
was inherited at his father's death by John Parnell, the elder brother of Thomas Stroud. And in 1879, John was a bit short of Larry Nash, and he offered his subtenants terms in which to purchase their own farms. And the area is still inhabited predominantly by the descendants of those Catholic subtenants. I'm pretty sure the first time I heard Trinity College Dublin uh, per se was in 1968 when I wondered if I might be eligible to attend. This, of course, was still the era when the Catholic Church banned Catholics from attending the college without special dispensation. And as some of you may recall, there was a palpably odd concern that Catholics might somehow lose their faith. What of faith? The ban was lifted shortly after in 
abolition to be on the 
alone in suffering to continue, and it is, I heartily wish it at an end. It turns out it was only as recently as 2013 um, that, uh, as the New York Post reported, after more than a century, the Census Bureau is welcoming this new separation in Europe to the small black American conservatives in our own black or African American. Now, I can see how some readers uh, in this hypersensitive era might suggest that my use of the word national is still, in some sense, inappropriate. I'd suggest it's very much of its time, uh, not for that period of all days. Accurately reflecting the media, the late 50s and early 60s, when I first saw Billy Bruder Group's letter on television. The 1960s civil rights movement in the US was one of the main forces behind the 1960s civil rights movement in Northern Ireland. As many of you, or some of you, I know that you're not proud that you recall how we shall overcome. The unofficial, official, unofficial anthem. On August 15, 1969, John Barnes sang We Shall Overcome a hill song. On the same day, six people were killed and many more injured during sectarian violence in Belfast. Many families were also forced to move from their homes. somehow to the civil unrest in Boston in 1773. While Sam Adams tried to reassert control of the meeting, people poured out of the Old South meeting house to prepare to take action. In some cases, this involved donning what may have been elaborately prepared Mohawk costumes. While disguising their individual dresses was imperative because of the illegality of their protest, dressing as Mohawk warriors was a specific and symbolic choice. It showed that the Sons of Liberty identified with America over their official status as subjects of Great Britain. As it turns out, the very term Sons of Liberty was coined by one of our own, another Trinity graduate, Isaac Black. During the 1769 debate in Parliament over the Stamp Act, uh, during that debate, Charles Townsend made a disapproving statement about the American colonists. It was then that Barry stood up and defended them calling them the Sons of Liberty. And being an Irishman, he was somewhat familiar with 18th century uh, secret societies, uh, and of course the Sons of Liberty was a secret society. Uh, societies such as the White Boys, the Bay Boys. And he shared uh, many of the same duties of the American colonists. 
struck here, I wonder if you are, by the fact that in the midst of describing an atrocity involving a tripwire, Kittrick provides another voodoo trap, that of using the politically incorrect term, cowboys and Indians. Again, it's an understandable concern. The upshot, though, is that not so much political correctness, which I think we all understand, so much as actually mere incorrectness. It's a notion of correctness that informs a 1995 letter published uh, in the New York Times, uh, published under the heading Wrestling with Billy Two Years. To the editor, in Richard Tindas, Mr. Muldoon's home, my father and I, Billy Two Years, specifically around referring to Boston Peabody, is meant to make the reader question this Indian's identity, which, quote, may be no more genuine than the sport of professional wrestling, quote, unquote. And the nature of cross cultural identity. While cross, this is the letter, while cross cultural identity. Understanding of the poem. Either way, I think that Chief Two Rivers, 
and the Mohawks of Kamalaki are owed an apology. Japanese karate tradition. <laughs> if you come away with 
honoring Navajo code talkers Monday referenced his nickname for Senator Elizabeth Warren Thank you. 
make it acceptable any more than, say, my being a Northern Catholic gives you an insight into being a Northern Catholic for every state or legislative bracket. The fact that anyone believes something to be acceptable or unacceptable does not make it so. Ideas are acceptable or unacceptable by how they are feeling. The nickname that attracts a warning is unacceptable by any criteria, most particularly the rapidly disappearing concept of civility. And this is a concept that we may date back partly to Joseph Edison, Richard Steele, and their spectator, same publication of
limit the sense of theatrical odyssey. It also pictures a mainly home-time cast performing the music. The director's wife, Sarah Betty Bonfassi, implies two of the seven cast members are black. And on Wednesday, when the storm that had engendered occurred too much, they cancelled the show after two performances. They sold more than 8,000 tickets, scheduled for 16 performances. And the production has raised thorny questions, and I think it certainly does, about how to differentiate cultural appreciation from cultural appropriation. And accusations, fairly or not, that its top creators had engaged in a modern day form of blackface. This kind of Latinization is very reminiscent of blackface minstrel shows. The singer songwriter Moses Sumner wrote in a letter. The only thing missing is uh, black paint. The French born Ms. Bonifacy, whose mother was Serbian, the father Italian, told Ms. Craft that the title was uh, an allusion to the Serbs in Spain, slammed by foreign empires. The show does have its uh, defenders, uh, some of them arguing that if a racial purity test requires that only black people perform black music, then the celebrated white filmmaker Ken Burns, a new Latinx documentary about jazz, Lin Manuel Miranda, an American with Puerto Rican roots, no doubt they have them. Leave the artists in peace. Let the white artists be touched and moved by black history and the songs we generate. Frederick Pierre, the black actor, wrote on Facebook, responding to criticism of Stilton and Facebook before the show's cancellation. Mr. Lepage and Ms. Bonifaci initially said it was up to audiences to decide if they were allowed to tell black people's stories. The right to tell black people's stories, along with the right to tell stories in general, is under threat, it seems to me. These are the
try to inoculate the Indians by means of blankets. But in the form in their hands, taking care that I cannot take the disease myself, it's a pity to oppose good men against them. I wish I could make use of the Spanish method, a hunter with English dogs. Supported by Rangers, some long legs, they would have been effectively extricated or removed. Now, one of those aiming and abetting bouquet of animals was a fellow called William Johnson, subject of a fabulous biography uh, by Hickman Clue. He came from County Meath. His senator, as it turns out, of the one million school meeting, I suppose, of the theories in Barbara Nash, he became prominent in Indian affairs. Generally accepted that some of the methods used against Native Americans um, have been developed in Ireland from the Elizabethan era on. Uh, here's an account, a uh, short brief and excerpt from an account by Stephen Dunford of the hunting of Redmond O'Hanlon in Victoria uh, by another Johnson, no relation. This is John Johnson, John's famous recluse. Coot of Coot Hill, Johnson of the Hughes, Badger's infamous for their cruelty and ruthlessness in tracking down and murdering priests. Tradition has it that on one occasion the Johnstons tracked Redmond to strike the shore of Hollywood Loch. When in the water they unleashed a dog, he drowned the dog and all along. The dog attempted. And that brought them meeting the British. While I was teaching at Cambridge University, and among the students I taught there in one remarkable class, um, I taught in Nottingham actually, but uh, they, they were Giant Spoken, author of the last name Topham, the doctor to the DME, Lee Hall, author of Billy Elliot, among other pieces, Tom Butterworth, who was his brother. Jez is the author of The Last Legion and Britannia. And I'm pretty sure that now that that Legion dog plays it, they should probably sit and watch it in things. Britannia's second trip to Ireland, southward where I'm here, fought on a more regular basis, 43 AD, the Roman Imperial Army determined to terrify. 
begins to push the Celtic part of Britannia, a mysterious land ruled by wild warrior women. Not much has changed. And powerful druids who can channel the powerful forces, that's too powerful, so I don't know the root of it, the powerful forces of the underworld. Now, it's not clear that mysterious Celtic land of Britannia run by wild warrior women is the land with which the Reverend William Anderson self-identifies, I can't be sure. One thing is sure, for sure, one does not set out to binge-watch Britannia with any regard for absolute historical truth. <laughs> it's just not relevant. The powerful forces of the underworld get in our way, it's not. So there's a language barrier. That said, we know that the Tonic or the Tonic survives today in a few English place names and river names, the best example, of course, the word Ain, the river Ain, the river's Ain. Um, more recently we've seen that the river actually Ain in Salford, a place of Dern Water. The Russians, of course, are claiming that the poison uh, most likely derived from Porton Down, facility, the secret facility of Long Water, uh, near Salisbury. And, and you know, I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, there are biological weapons files, uh, hundreds of them between 
In any case, there is definitely such a thing as stage Irish names. Um, and one of the most prevalent stage Irish names is Muldoon. If you recall Tony Muldoon from Car 54, no, no. <laughs> Car 54, where are you? It's Bobby Muldoon. Also buried in the Ishi, uh, the Dedicate of a poem I wrote called The Year of the Slows or Ishi. Written in February 1973, it is an immediate response to the events in Berwick on January 30th of that year. I realized that his brothers could be persuaded to lie still. One beside the other, right across the great plains, when perhaps something of this original beauty must be retained. Ishi, of course, the last member of the tribe, was suddenly interfering over in California in the early years of the early 1900s. And he spent his life uh, working in a museum, making. Sunday uh, inquiry would not have happened without Martin the best. Contemporaries said it was pivotal, says John Fellow, the Bloody Sunday Justice campaign. His brother Michael was among the 15 people who died on January 30th, 1973. The soldiers opened fire on a civil rights march in Derry. Martin the best, second in command of the IRA evidence to the inquiry when his fine employed saddle, the chairman inquiry, 
Lord, that you give us a colder, colder than our repulsion of suffering for But here's another part of this. Armed with a fishing rod, I have found the tree of life. The life of creature lay silent and unmoving as the teeming water flowed over the last evergreens. Storms would rebound in a windfall river for a decimated breed of free spirits. this year by Lionel Schreiber. Please submit your work typed, winning entries in the short story science fiction competition uh, published in March 2019. Edition of Dyslexia, by the way, you, the deadline is gone. should be in English or English dialect and should not have been published or accepted for publication elsewhere. Now I'm pretty sure that one dialect of English which won't feature in Jim's entries is that American, given that the brouhaha reported by Alison Brown in the Guardian of Wednesday, August 8, 2018. 
in which a false poet has certain sublime characters. The young American poet Angus Carson Reed's poem How To was published in the nation in July. The scene of the voice of a homeless person that opens, if you got HIV, say AIDS. If you're a girl, say you're pregnant. Nobody on the lower than says to listen to the poem. Beautiful poems and poems. And its publication broke a social media storm in the winter. Became big. Readers calling it racist and ableist. Ableist. And in response, the nation, which was founded by abolitionists in 1865, set out to drive bold ideas into the conversation issued an apology from its poetry editors saying the words somewhere known like a very great deal and Carmen Jimenez Smith saying they now recognize that Carson Reed's poem, which remains in sight, contains despising and atheist language that is given against. When we read the poem, we took it as a profane over the top attack in the ways in which members of many groups are asked or are required to perform their work can no longer read the poem in that way, their work. Carson Reed apologized for the pain I have caused in a statement I intended for this poem to address the invisibility of hopelessness period that you were treading, treading anywhere close to that phrase is horrifying to me, and I am profoundly regretful. He wrote, adding that it would be donated the money he had made from the poem's I'm trying to imagine what that would have been, but the amount of money he might have made. So, so that, that's what he did. But whatever else this poem is, it's not that. It's, it's a dramatization of the character. It's telling someone stuff that he's saying. Edmund Burke, for those who've been involved in the cause of the present discontents, whilst men are linked together, they easily and speedily communicate the alarm of any evil desire. No man who is not inflamed by vainglory um, into enthusiasm can flatter himself that his single, unsupported, desultory, unsystematic endeavors are at par to defeat the subtle designs and united cabals of ambitious citizens. When bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall one by one an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. The phrase when bad men combine, the good must associate, is the closest, by the way, we come to the bon mot, uh, so often attributed to Burke, but so many may attribute to him, the only thing necessary the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And no anti That attribution, by using the phrase as a subtitle, I do so with a keen regard for how easily one may be misquoted, while ideas attributed to one that one doesn't necessarily entertain. But let's stick with something that definitely happened in 1770, the year Burke looked at. 
the earthquake of June 3rd was one of the strongest shocks recorded on the island of Haiti. The history of natural disasters in Haiti, long and perplexing. And uh, of course, Oxfam ED responded uh, to that earthquake that struck in July 2010, and uh, they raised uh, 98 million uh, to fund uh, the humanitarian response in Haiti. Oxfam's efforts reminiscent of the Choctaw response to the Irish famine, with which you're, you're all so familiar, the Choctaw sending the money at the height of the famine to $170, but worth tens of thousands today. Uh, sent in Black 47 when the famine was at its height. Which brings me to Frederick Douglass. Now, I, mean, I did warn you of this heavily associative aspect to this. But what that translates to is really a solid hitter. You recall perhaps Donald Trump's observation in February 2017 that Frederick Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more, I <laughs> This use of the present tense uh, led some to suspect that Trump didn't really know who Frederick Douglass was. We in Ireland were very proud to be associated with him. And we're proud to think that his visit here in 1845, just as the, the, the famine, successive famines were kicking in, played a, a great role, actually, in his intellectual and emotional development. Um, Frederick Douglass was instrumental in extending the awareness of African-American rights to the broader spectrum of American life, inspirational to the leaders of the Choctaw and other Native American tribes. And of course, we have uh, given our thanks to the Choctaw in uh, 1992. Some of you will recall the Choctaw made Ireland's president, Mary Robinson, uh, an honorary Productions of Slav, um, the backlash against the backlash, actually, that shuttered the show, reflecting for some a particular bitter plot, distaste for orthodoxy or authoritarianism, authoritarianism of any kind, intruding in culture. A Chief in February uh, uh, of 2018, February of this year. The Vatican has barred President Gay Methodists from taking part in a conference. The Mark International Women's Day, originally due to take place in the WC. And 
appropriation snipers for shutting down Islam. Continuing to assert that I was Joe McGuigan, 
I'm dressing the night before the interrogation by bombing a dog on this issue. Now, I assume it was the way the Sinn Féin president, Jerry Adams, who on October 30th, 2017, extended his sincere condolences to the family and friends of the renowned American American activist James Franks, co founder of the American Indian Movement in 1968, took part on any occupation of African lands. Through time, their sharp hatreds have softened and blurred, as if they still inhabited the middle distances, as if these people never stopped driving forward in an opposite direction. The people of the shattered masses who have seen forever going back. To have willed this reservation, it is as if they are decided to be islanders at heart. As if this island has forever been the destination of all those wanting back. After the newspaper and TV reports, I will be glad that the young man of Gregory's office lives as a brilliant guerrilla fighter, the weight of his corps worn like the moon's last quarter, though only that he believes, as I believe of his fathers, that they would not attack after God. Speaking of God, wishing to believe in the cinematic cliché that Native Americans uh, do not fight at night. And he seems to prefer the term guerrilla fighter over the term such as slave fighter or dog fighters and terrorists. Many of you will recall that the notion of a terrorist first entered the English language in Burke's letters on a regicide priest. Burke was using it in a slightly uh, different way, I think, from how we do it, we, well, how many of us would use it, tend to use it. He was using it of the, the forces, the hellhounds, the military uh, employed by the government, and uh, I've included some of the irregulars, the hellhounds, the terrorists. Uh, and it's clear that uh, militant Republicans identify with militant Native Americans. Uh, well, Irish Republicans have looked beyond Native Americans to find common cause. So lost the loyalists. Here's Henry MacDonald burning the garden back in 2003. Medal at Baird's Pet as becoming the latest member of the Ulster Loyalist community to display support for Ariel Sharon's assault on the West Bank and Gaza. Last Monday afternoon, the UDA commander's four-legged friend was seen being taken for a walk along Belfast's Chantal Road with the Star of David flag wrapped around his body. Rebel, a Zionist version of Superdog, with his Israeli flag turned into a cape, was paraded around just days before his master uh, was released from prison. The UDA regards this as a lower shackle, which tied his way 
Palestinian flags go up in large numbers across the Republican um, strongholds. And by the way, I actually do got involved in this first, um, but somehow uh, among the uh, most oppressed peoples ever, um, the, uh, there was some vying for whether or not uh, there were coins of being going to be seen as Ireland's Palestinians or Ulster's Jews. Um, reference uh, to uh, the English character, uh, the only English character in it, uh, <coughs> Tom Kettle, uh, a kind of holy gold, um, displayed also in, in broad uh, brush strokes. At least the ferryman has a substantial number of Irish actors. self-serving narcissism um, of uh, retired and long passing hiding behind the cloak of freedom of expression. And I think we're a pretty dangerous and applicable place if we think of freedom of expression as being a cloak. Mr. Rapage's coming show Canada is also creating a bit of a stir because the studio Indigenous platforms. Well, I see here an opportunity for 
competing in Canada, the US, and abroad. He appeared in films and TV. <coughs> the British band, The Dogs, The Moor, came to song after in the 1988. The Pulitzer Prize winner, Paul Mulvaney, wrote back to and I, Billy Two Rivers, about watching Kentucky in a wrestling match. A British racing horse was named after reasons why uh, Van Morrison, by the way, had such a remarkable career is that he had done everything but stay in his own lane. He is the very essence of non-essentialism. Nor had he stolen anything. He had been stolen from something. Nor does he own anything. He is owned by something. Um, you know, I think I'll move towards the end now because uh, it's been a long night. I'm just going to end with the... Uh, you know, I've been threatening it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> with a little poem which uh, I sent as it happens to... You know, you're missing something. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring Joseph Brandt, the red Mohawk chief, who among uh, other distinctions was able to uh, recognize and identify with the Odyssey. He was a brother-in-law, as it happens, of William Johnson of Moody. He lived up near Kanjahari in New York. He visited England in November of 
You know, with this poem, Oscar Goyer, it suggests that uh, the U.S. has it within it to write some of its recent jerks and jolts. And I like to think that actually on the broader, uh, on the broader uh, plane, uh, that actually we will arrive at having a slightly more nuanced and less negative view. <coughs>